Welcome to episode 91 of the False Neutral Podcast. This is the July 2019 episode. Garrett and Eric are with me, as always, and we're going to jump right into our workshop update. Garrett, why don't we start with you, and why don't you kick us off and tell us what you've been up to in your garage? Yeah, so, and this might be episode 92, because we, <laughs> we, we attempted a recording and... uh you gotta bring that up. You, you gotta, you gotta air my to, dirty laundry. I, I have to hold you accountable for the, for the, <laughs> I screwed you make. up. It was my he, fault. Garrett's um, already said all this stuff once and I wasn't recording. This is the second time I've done this. So luckily we weren't uh, too far into it, but, um, so I was reliving a story of how I, uh, recently accidentally purchased two motors, uh, not motorcycles, cars, because that's what this is, right? A car podcast. Um, so yeah, I, I, I was, I was needing a commuter car and, um, was browsing the insurance auction website as I occasionally do and had put two really low bids in on cars, figuring that I probably wouldn't get them because the bids were low enough. And as it turns out at the end of that auction, I owned two new cars, a 2011 Chevy Malibu and a 2014 Chevy Cruze, um, I did not expect to get either of them, let alone both of them. So uh, it has kind of taken me away from my workshop a little bit because I had to put a new front bumper cover on the Malibu and get it painted out and fit and all that. Um, I have that finished and decided to just park the cruise on my property and just leave it for a little while so I can get back to my motorcycle stuff. I've been working a little bit on the Kenny Roberts RZ350 You'll probably remember on one of the last episodes, um, I had all the suspension taken off of it. It was basically just a bare frame. Um, I sprayed clear coat over the original paint on the, the plastics and, and tank and all that just to protect it and shine it up a little bit. The frame, I had just touched up with some black paint um, everywhere where you could see it. I didn't actually take like any of the electronics off of it, wiring harness or anything like that. I just masked around all that. And it actually came out pretty good. I spent quite a bit of time masking it off so I could spray it and it turned out okay. Um, I repainted the rear swing arm, rebuilt the calipers, uh, polished out the front fork tubes, uh, the, the, the um, foot peg mounts, um, and finally got all that put back on the motorcycle. So now it's back to a rolling chassis, uh, which I'm really enthusiastic about because um, I was working on the the kick or the yeah the kickstand. Um, as you guys probably remember, it had a really boogered on, nasty, um, cut off, relocated kickstand uh, bracket because of the the aftermarket expansion chambers. And, and just, those those don't have a, a center stand on them, do they? They did. They did. Okay. Yeah. But, Stock um, they do, but this one doesn't. Yeah, most aftermarket pipes are not compatible with a center stand, okay. although some are. I'm guessing that the mm -hmm. pipes that I have were not, or either that or some owner in the past needed to save two pounds for whatever reason. I, I love center stands, so I was thinking about actually putting one back on it. Um, but more importantly than a center stand is it needs a kickstand of some kind. So, um, I repaired the frame where they had atrociously welded on a replacement, um, or relocated kickstand mount and, um, had laser cut some new ones. Um, so I kind of got it mocked up, um, when all the suspension was off of it, but needed to get the suspension back on so I could get it on the ground and know exactly where that kickstand bracket needed to be for the right lean angle and and so i could make sure it wasn't interfering with any of the suspension parts um so that's where i finally am i have the suspension back on i today started getting the kickstand bracket exactly where it needs to be and i suspect by the end of the day today um i'll be done with that and with the resolution of the kickstand bracket i'll be able to put the engine in it and finally get the whole motorcycle buttoned up um so that's pretty exciting it's taken me quite a long time to get to this point of you know messing with the suspension and building the engine and redoing all the brakes and and, and you have another purchase that you recently got 
Oh, yes. I've been daydreaming about getting a 3D printer for a while now, specifically for this project, because I, I really want the motorcycle to look factory. Because this this RZ is well-preserved enough where it just doesn't make sense to, you know, start throwing tons of aftermarket parts at it. Um, so I really wanted a air box that flowed enough air for the internally modified engine. Now, the engine looks 100% stock from the outside, uh, but it is fully race ported. It's got 11.5 to 1 compression, um, you know, modified reed cages, advanced timing, all the good stuff. So um, the, the stock air box just doesn't flow enough air for this kind of engine. But I also didn't want to just throw aftermarket air filters on it. So I had envisioned... Um, kind of recreating a stock airbox, um, at least, you know, mostly recreate it, but uh, be able to put in a different air filter, like an automotive style convoluted air filter that has a lot more surface area so it can flow enough air for this engine. Um, so I got a 3D printer for my birthday a couple weeks ago. Thank you, Lee, my lovely wife. And I'm going to 3D print a new airbox for the machine, uh, which I'm pretty excited about. I still am not sure if I'm going to print an entire new airbox or um, the factory airbox is actually three pieces. There's a bottom piece, a middle piece, and then the top cover. I could probably just reprint the middle piece um, to be able to fit a bigger air filter in it and then a new top cover to go onto that. So um, those would be the easy parts to print because the lowermost part holds the battery and has some other kind of stuff that goes along with it. So I think I actually might just print a new upper half of the air box that it can accommodate a bigger air filter. So really excited about that. And you don't want to do like the Y boot air filters that, uh, that kind of hide I, up in there. I don't, they're a, they're a pain in the ass. Trust me. <laughs> yeah. So, First of all, the stock air box holds the battery. It has like a tray and the little hooks for the strap that hold the battery in. Um, and, you know, it has like the clips for the wiring harness to, you know, route around it. Um, so the, the Y-boot you could do, but then you'd end up having to make a new battery mount. And there's a few other things that go along with it. So I figured it would just be best to do a stock air box, um, at least the lower half of it rather than, you know, have a bunch of other challenges to overcome by doing the Y thing. I definitely think it'd be better, but it seems like a lot of work. (laughs) Well, it's a lot of digital work, which isn't really that bad. Um, Because you you CAD design what you want, and then you print it, right? So it's like, it's a lot of work, but it's also kind of easier work. So I can just sit in my chair, have a beer... CAD draw, you know, if it doesn't work, I'll print a new one, make some changes. Like, it's okay. I just know, for me, working in any kind of 3D CAD is is one of the most laborious things. And I think some of it is, I don't know all the shortcuts in the yeah. software that people who really know what they're doing can do stuff quicker than I can. And I double check everything because I'm convinced I'm making stupid mistakes yeah, I am certainly not the best CAD drawer out there, but I have enough experience where it, it shouldn't be too bad. Um, <laughs> especially because I have something to work with, with the, the lower air box. What I design, it's non-critical at all. So long as it um, kind of fits into, there's this little groove where the middle piece goes into the bottom piece. As long as that groove is right, then anything above it, it can look any way that it needs to. And, and all of that's hidden anyway, so you actually probably won't really see it. The RZ350 has side covers that cover most of the airbox, and the seat covers the top. It's so it's it'll be easier, I think, than it sounds. It's it's been a hundred years since I've looked at one of those airboxes, and and the battery being in the in the airbox kind of remember that a little bit. But what I'm trying to remember is where it is in there, and I'm thinking if you can you put like a like one of the really small shore eye batteries or that equivalent of and increase your volume that way too? Um, yeah, you can. The battery is kind of on the side of it. 
That's it's, right. okay. The the mount is is molded in as one piece, but it doesn't actually encroach onto the volume of the airbox. Okay. And it's not even the volume of the airbox that's a problem. It's just got a flat foam air filter that's really small. I mean, it's about the size of a piece of bread. Yeah. Um, and because it's just a foam, uh, the surface area is really low. So, you know, like a K&N filter is convoluted. It has all those ridges. Mm-hmm. And so if you stretch that out, the surface area is actually enormous, right? So what I want to do is um, just take like a K&N style or automotive style air, air filter that actually has those ridges up and down. And it doesn't actually have to be dimensionally much larger than what is in it now so long as it's just that like kind of corrugated shape so the which dramatically increases yeah. the surface area yeah. so um i'm not gonna go super crazy and make an air box that's like enormous i just really want to put a different filter in and not dimensionally bigger but just surface area bigger so roger that i love how it's coming together and the wheels are just nice and gold again. The brake calipers are all fancy and black, just like they're supposed to be. I put new front brake lines on it. Um, I'm going to leave the rear brake line on it for now. It's the original. I should probably replace it. But finding a 12-inch braided brake line with banjo ends is actually not very easy to do. It's it's close. I'm excited. I'm really excited to have this project coming to a close. So it's as long as I get that kickstand on it, I'll throw the engine in it and it'll be done here pretty quick. There's a few things that I still need to figure out. Um, I think I have a throttle cable made for it, but I won't know until I actually get it hooked up to know if it's going to work. It's actually a throttle cable for a RZ350 LC, the earlier RZ that they had in Europe. The U.S. models had some different... Um, uh, throttle cable and it was actually a dual throttle cable push and a pull mechanism. The European models didn't have that. So, um, but I think I have the throttle cable worked out and there's a couple other little miscellaneous odds and ends that I'll have to kind of figure out once I get to that point where it's 98% together. So, and then once this is done, then I can start working on the other motorcycle projects that I have because there's plenty of them. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, speaking of motorcycle projects, I think yours just got a little bit bigger, Eric. Yeah, so <laughs> it stopped raining around here, which was nice. And then it, and then it became summer where it was like 90 degrees and 70 percent humidity every day. So going out in the garage exact, wasn't exactly great. And then yeah, a couple days weren't too bad. Um, so I went back and if we go back to the last episode. I was checking valve lash and stuff like that. And it was it was off, but it wasn't like horribly off. There was a couple that were like, mm, okay, but acceptable range, I guess. Um, and then so I got it started and it was running, and I'm just listening to it. And I forgot Garrett if it was you or if it was Pete said something about running a leak down or a compression test on or something like this. And the right cylinder, just a couple times, it was like it would miss, and it literally sounded like for lack of a better, a better term, it sounded like it was passing gas. Like it was just like, <laughs> it was just like, <laughs> yeah, you know, just like, <sighs> okay, something's not right in there. So I went and uh, I got a compression test case just cause I didn't, my, I have not hooked up my, uh, my uh, compressor in about two, well, since we've been in this house and we just, it's been three years since we moved to the house and, my compressor is still sitting in the garage and I haven't hooked it up. So um, rather than monkey with that and, and, uh, and a leak down tester, I just went and got a compression tester. And so I, all right, well, let's get to the right one first. Let's, let's see what the bad one looks like. And so I hooked it up and I'm cranking it and I don't think it got above 45 pounds of compression. Uh, yeah. That's a and, problem. Yeah. And then I'm like, <laughs> Okay, well, what's the left cylinder look like? Well, that one only got up to about 80 or 85 pounds. So nothing too great in that one either. Yeah. <laughs> so so my buddy says, well, just check something for me. I'm like, all right. So says so take a look. It's a little bit of a little bit of motor oil. Well, the plugs are out. Put it in there. Circle circulate it a little bit just to see if it seals it up any better. Nope. That didn't work. It didn't really work. No. In fact, well. Um. I think I messed up the gauge because after that, then I got nothing. 
I literally got the, the way the gauge wasn't reading. So I, there was pressure in, in, in the cylinder because I took the gauge part off or the, ex- yeah. just had the extension on it and there's pressure in there. But yeah, the gauge all of a sudden didn't want to read. So okay. like, I, I got to take that back and get another um, one. Well, actually, you have vacuum slide carburetors. Yeah. So did you, did, were the slides open when I, you no, were? They were not. When you run a compression, test you want the carburetors should be open all the way okay and, and if they're not then you might not draw enough air in to make a bunch of pressure so normally on a carbureted engine you would hold the throttles wide open while you're running the compression test um you have cv carbs and i don't know if there will be enough vacuum pressure to pull the slides open when you're cranking it so it's possible that your test reading was lower than it actually is. Just because you couldn't get enough it, air in there? Yeah. I don't but know that, if it would be But that's a that big low. difference. Yeah, well, that's a right. big difference between, I mean, there's like 35 pounds or whatever it was yeah. or so, 40 pounds of difference between the two. So yeah, I'm, yeah, I, I will do that. I, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll replace the gauge or swap out yeah. the and you then, might have to, um, with the air cleaners off, you know, stick your finger in it. At least the hole that you're checking, just make sure that that slide is all the way up. Okay. Um, when you're running your pressure test, and you might get a slight change, but I don't know. I don't think it would really be that different. I mean, you really should be at like, you know, 140 pounds yeah, or something. 100, yeah, 120 yeah. pounds. And I just don't think you're going to get there um, anywhere you, close to that. The only thing is, you got a thousand miles on this. Is this? It's not like worn. It's not like worn rings. No, I bet the rings are probably stuck in the piston grooves. Uh, yeah. Although, I mean, yeah, it literally sat and did not run for over twenty years. So this could be f- resolved by lubricant and use. <laughs> 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 but. But you know, the problem, well, the problem is, is that this all comes about. Like, it really doesn't want to run right where I could go ride it, you know, because yeah, yeah. like you give it a little bit of throttle and it just dies. Yeah, because it's probably not the valve ceiling. It's probably the piston rings. And I suspect that if you got a good, you know, like penetrating type oil that you could let sit in the cylinders and just keep, you know, working the piston rings by either using the starter or getting it to run. Running would be best so you can increase that cylinder pressure and get the rings to try to, yeah. you know, pull out of the uh, grooves. Does that have Dykes rings or flat rings in it? I, I don't even know what. Well, it's probably got two sets of rings with the oil the um, scraper in the yeah. center. And it might have another ring below that, too. But it's what, a 77? Eight. 78. 78, yep. Um, yeah, I've, I've got a bunch of PB blaster around here, so I guess I could throw it in there. I mean, you're not going to hurt it other like, as long as it's not all pouring into the crankcase and then you have super foul crankcase oil. What what um, about something like Marvel mystery oil that is yeah. supposedly okay to, to yeah. mix with your or, oil or yeah. sea foam or something like that. Sea foam yeah. can go into the cylinder and, you know, it can just sit there and then ultimately go into the oil. As long as it's not like a ton of it, you're fine. Yeah. So, yeah, I can. I, can I mean, I would try that before tearing the engine apart because yeah. worst comes to worst, you're going to tear the engine apart. Right. So, oh, that's true. Uh, yeah, that's kind of a bummer, though, huh? Yeah. So I was, yeah. The the whole engine actually doesn't need to come apart. Really, it, like, just if pull the worse, head just pull the cylinders off. Okay. Um, the pistons are probably fine. Just replace the rings, give the cylinder a little hone. And I would assume the valves are just fine. Um, you know, usually when it sits for a long time, it, the issue is with the rings in the cylinder wall, not the valve seals. Mm-hmm. So um, pull the, it's probably a monoblock cylinder, but pull that off, you know, some rings on the same pistons, give a little quick ball home through the cylinders, and it's probably going to be good as new. Yeah. So. So, yeah, I'm hoping. I just, it's, it's one of those things that like, if this was like a special bike, you know, I'd probably be more like, oh, come on, I got to get this done. But it's yeah. just because it's like a, eh, it's a bike. Too bad you weren't closer to me. <laughs> yeah. You could just drop that motorcycle off. I'd have it done well, in a day, I think. I could, I actually could call my buddy who's, 
auto, he's an engineer, uh, mechanical engineer is out of work and yeah. sort of, sort of by choice at, at this point. Um, and, and he's always looking for things to do and projects to do that aren't his own. Yeah. <laughs> like he's got 35 different projects. Yeah. You know, own, I get but, that. It, but, it, working on other people's stuff somehow is easier than working on your own <laughs> for whatever reason. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he's got some really cool stuff. He's got like a, he's got a 450 uh, Ducati. He's got a 250 Ducati, like, you know, late 60s kinds. He's got yeah. a few other. He's got his, he's got to finish putting together his uh, RS250 Aprilia. He's got a, he's got both an RS125 and a 250. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I want to be uh, him when I grow up. <laughs> um, you know, and he has he has this uh, like late seventies Fiat Spider, you know, yeah, that yeah. has been up on blocks for like a decade because well, I got to get underneath there and scrape the bottom and you know do this, do that. Yeah, yet it's been in the same position for ten years. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. you know. Um, um, hey, not to change the subject, but before I forget about it, I gotta air my beef with that um, the Vesco rd oh yeah 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 Yeah, give give the whole story on this well i don't even know like i didn't even really look at the listing after you well pete when you sent that link and i saw it for sale like i shouldn't be like supremely annoyed but i kind of am you kind of went out of your way because this guy was you know like like you kind of gave him the good guy treatment and then he he attempts to flip it and yeah and that's like you know, I you put drove a it lot down. of effort into selling this motorcycle, and I was excited. I mean, the guy sent me a picture of him and his youth with his old Yamaha, and I was just kind of excited that the motorcycle would like, go somewhere where it was going to be loved. And just to see it on eBay, like, you know, four weeks after he received delivery, it's kind of irritating. What I'm guessing is I don't think he bought it with the intention of flipping it. I think he wrote yeah. it and went, Oh crap, this isn't what I wanted at all. Right. Well, it's probably like me and my 88 Toyota Tricel, where like, <laughs> you know, I had visions of this from back in high school and I'm like, yeah, this will be great. And then you get it and it's like, no, this is not great. And, you know, I get it. It's a, a 70s air cooled street bike that is probably funner to look at than it is to ride. I, it, it, and don't get me wrong, they're great to ride, but just they're old machines the brakes never work as well as a new bike they don't run as well as a new bike so it's you know probably not as attractive when you're um, retired as it is when you're 22 years old so it's possible that he just got it and realized that he likes his i think he has a bmw gs you know (laughs) that he rides every day so when you ride a brand new bmw gs and then you go to ride a 74 yamaha you probably realize that it's not as fun as you remember. <laughs> well, the you you can take some solace in the fact that it <laughs> yeah. did not meet reserve and only got bid up to thirty six hundred dollars. So yeah, he, he I, I did get solace from that. Um, it makes me feel like I probably did better. I I thought that it was going to sell for a lot more than it did, but um, you know, there is another case study of it you know selling for still just around four thousand dollars so maybe that's all it's worth i guess but yeah i'm glad that it didn't go for 10 yeah right. <laughs> it would have been livid <laughs> well then you could have gone to bring a trailer and said dude what's the, yeah. what's the story right yeah um and then the guy that bought the titan um i got the impression before he had actually even purchased it that he was a very novice, very inexperienced uh, motorcycle owner, particularly Wait. with old two strokes. Wait, this sounds familiar somehow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Go figure, huh? So he brought it back? Um, no, no, no. He's just like... <laughs> I, I was um, having TX750 flashbacks. Yeah, right. Uh, no, he's just been like... It, it first, he had lots of lots of, and lots of questions, which I was per- perfectly fine with. Um and then he took delivery of the motorcycle, had some more questions, and I was happy to answer all those questions. And then, you know, a few weeks go by, and but it's like this onslaught of questions. And they're like, they're questions that he should be figuring out on his own at this point. Like, he was asking me if the kickstand is factory and, and like, you know, other weird things. And, and so now I just feel like I am married to this motorcycle still. And I really just want to be like moved 
past it because, you know, it, these owners don't know it, but I put many, 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 many hours into uh, for free into repairing sure. these motorcycles. And I don't really want to invest the rest of my life in them. And so I've just gotten to the point where I like this. There's a certain this guy, point where you got a guy you're on your own. You know, yeah. you bought and, it as is. And uh, he got a very well sorted out motorcycle. The questions that he's asking are really just like kind of nitpicky stuff. And so he, he's where, on his own now. That uh, That's where you send him the link to let me Google that for you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Seeing the RD and that Titan, I just like, I'm pretty annoyed by both of them and the, and the owner is a, a little bit. So, uh, yeah. Years ago, I had a, a 94 Ford Escort wagon that uh, I drove for years. It was a good car, but uh, I never was really fond of it. And it was just an economical get around vehicle and it blew the head gasket and it ran fine, but the combustion pressure kept blowing out the heater cores. And after the second heater core, when I got wet coolant in my carpet for the third time, I was like, I'm done. So I, went ahead and replaced it, but then sold the car for a dollar to <laughs> uh, a friend of mine because his son needed a car and they just dumped like two things of bars leaks in it and it ran fine for about a year until it finally was like, yeah, head gasket's getting worse. So he traded it into a dealer and like six months after that, this is like 18 months since I sold the car, I get this call. From some guy who's like, yeah, um, do you have any maintenance records on this car? I'm like, how did you even get my name? I I'm not even yeah. the prior owner of this car. And he's like, well, can you tell me who was? I'm like, no. It's like, well, do you have any? Can you come by my house? I was like, no. I sold Goodness. it for a dollar. He goes, a dollar? I was like, yeah, it had a bad head gasket. He goes, oh, I I just paid $2,500 for it at a buy here, pay here lot. <laughs> and I was like, oh, dude, you're so screwed. So yeah. I told him, no, I'm not going to give you anybody's name. Like a week later, he somehow got my friend who bought the car from me, got a call from the same guy. That's and I had so given weird. him a heads up. So it was like, yeah, no, you're on your own. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. So this guy with the Titan, he's on his own now. Um. I did go ahead and invest in a completely new set of forks for the 125. I guess this is my workshop update. At this point, I'm just throwing good money after bad. It's kind of like your, your excess. You're like, why did I get this deep into this? And now I, it's like being stuck in a mud bog. The only yeah. thing you can do is hold the throttle open and get to the other end of it, no matter how much work it takes. <laughs> this is just like, I just need to keep doing this. So yeah. Spe speaking of, sorry, speaking of workshop stuff. When I was, I, well, I got, I got my compression tester at Harbor Freight because I'm like, I didn't really want to put a lot of money. And most of the time, Harbor Freight's good enough, right? Yep. So as I'm, I'm perusing through there, like, do I need anything else while I'm here walking around just to make sure that I don't leave? I'm like, oh, should have bought that while I was there. They had a mini lathe there and it was this cute little mini lathe. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. And it was like 800 bucks. I'm like, damn, I could almost buy a used real lathe for 800 right. bucks. So yeah, I'm like, it, it's cute. It wasn't that cute, right? Yeah. So, oh. So, well, uh, Harley Davidson has a small displacement Indian market motorcycle. Is yeah, that right? Three eighty cc or something like that. From yeah, with, they were doing with Benelli. The same Chinese company that owns Benelli is basically going to badge engineer a Harley named bike, but it's it's going to be an existing Chinese bike that they're yeah. going to sell as a Harley in Southeast Asia. I find it bizarre, and I was talking to at work. We're a we're a tier one supplier to Harley, and uh, I was talking to the guy who's our main salesman slash handholder for the Harley people. And I was like, man, everything I've read online is the backlash of them brand engineering a Chinese bike mm -hmm. is has has just been really bad. And he's like, that's North America. Think of it this way. In the next 20 years, how many new riders under the age of 30 or 35 in North America are going to buy a Harley or even want to buy a Harley? Yeah. And he said, now, how many under 35-year-olds 
in the next 20 years in Southeast Asia really want to buy a Harley? Absolutely no comparison. The North yeah. American motorcycle market is dying. Yeah. The Southeast Asia motorcycle market is enormous, enormous and shows no sign of slowing down. And Harley still has a really good brand image with young riders there and they don't hear. Yeah. So he's like, they don't care how much a bunch of old, you know, soft tail riders are going to whine about what they're doing in Southeast Asia. He's like, they are interested in keeping the lights on. And that yeah. is, that is their whole motive. Yeah. They know it's going to really rile up some of the made in America people, but half of them bash Harley for, you know, having foreign suspension components and carbs anyways. So they're going to complain either way. So, yeah, I mean, Harley could do a better job in North America. Like, I don't know what Indian sales numbers are like, but I know that the the FTR motorcycle's been really popular, uh, at least theoretically. I know it just came out, the FTR 11, 1200 or whatever it is. 1200, yeah. Um, but I, w- I would suspect that their sales are at least decent compared to Harley. Um, you know, I think if Harley had something like that Street Fighter, which they were planning on making, and I mean, probably after they're bankrupt and all folded... I- you know, uh, that that would be a, a very compelling motorcycle for somebody like me who, you know, categorically hates Harleys, but I would consider buying it, you know, so but it's probably going to be too little too late by the time they actually produce something like that. It's my guess. Yeah, the other one is that um, and we talked about this a while back about, about the pricing when they announced the live wire uh, at something like around 30,000 or something like that. And then, uh, Zero's just released, uh, some of those reviews coming out now of, of Zero's latest generation of bikes. And like their top of the line bike, which is, you know, really nice, looks good because they've updated the styling. So it looks more like a motorcycle and less like a, an erector set. Um, but even like top of the line Zero bikes are 19 grand. Yeah. That's, that's a big delta. Right. And then you're going off of this is like their third or fourth generation of electrical bike. And this will be Harley's first. Yeah. And it also just seems like and I, motorcycles are probably I mean, electric motorcycles are probably the future, but probably not for another 20 years. I feel like maybe Harley should have done um, just some different internal combustion engines before investing in an electric. The only bike. thing is Harley's. Harley knows they're in free fall. They are grasping for any rung on the ladder that they can hold on to. Yeah. Uh, uh, from somebody I, I've spoken with who has seen the production live wire, mm-hmm. it is typical of Harley build quality. I mean, everything from the, the handlebar clamps to the castings to the turn signals just look like jewelry. I mean, it's yeah. zero. Yeah, not quite so much. I mean, they're good. They have great powertrains. But if you look at like the suspension and I will say I was just recently listening to another podcast, uh, the Brap Talk podcast, and they were saying that, you know, for what you pay for a zero, if you look at the quality of the suspension components and the brakes kind of suck for a $19,000 motorcycle, you're buying a really great powertrain in a really average chassis. So, mm. you know, I, I, I was reading a financial analyst who was not a, a motorcycle person, but he was a, an analyst for, uh, the, for Wall Street that covers Harley. And he basically predicted that the Harley Livewire will instantly sell out of all the pre-orders and their first run. And then it's going to sink like a rock. Everybody who wants one, is going to have one, and that's when Harley is going to have to come out with a competitively priced, uh, more affordable electric bike with the same kind of cool sound and cool look to the powertrain. And he's like, yeah, this one, they get a pass on this one. They're going to sell a bunch of them. They've got collectors that'll want it, and we'll have to see after that. So I thought that was a really interesting observation. Mm-hmm. But realistically, right now, 
motorcycles are not making anybody any money with maybe the exception of maybe Ducati. Yeah. Uh, I just looked, I just got an email from Powersport Business, which is the monthly publication for dealers and manufacturers and distributors. And it was very interesting. They, they sent out an email every month about what were the top 10 stories read online in the prior month. In June, out of the top 10, eight of those were about side by sides. Yeah. And I, everybody I've talked to that is involved in dealerships says side by sides are what are keeping not only dealers, but some of the North American OEMs alive that there is so much money being made and people are paying really nice margins on side by sides to get them. And, yeah. and there's so many new things coming out every year that people are still in that growth market. Well, it's developing technologically so that people are willing to take something that's three or four years old and trade in on a new one. It's yeah. kind of like, you know, computers. It used to be every time that there was a new Windows version or Mac version, everybody upgraded their operating system. And all of a sudden, somewhere along the line, people are like, no, I'm good with what I got. Uh, right. same, same thing happened with personal watercraft. You know, every, every year there was a new improvement that people had to have in the nineties. And all of a sudden they were like, no, I'm good. I don't need the new yeah. one. And I was, will, and I those, was, go ahead. Eric. I say I was announcing at the, at the drag strip over the weekend on Friday and, uh, we had a couple of rain delays. And so while they were drying out the track, I was walking around in the pits, just checking some stuff out and talking to a few people. And, uh, I said this to Peter earlier in our Slack chat. I'm like, there's a lot of people with a lot of disposable income out there because a lot of credit. Well, there's that too. Um, yeah, probably more of that. Uh, but there were a ton of side by sides in the, in the pits, whether they're just driving around in them or using them as tow vehicles or both. Uh, just an amazing, like the number right. of new and nice ones. And like, and you look at like the, uh, the four seat Can-Am Razor and you're like, Oh my God, that's as big as a, as an SUV now, you know? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're big now. And, you know, it's funny because they started off as just like agricultural things, like the Polaris Ranger that had the bed on the back. And it was kind of almost like a cab over looking, yeah. uh, side by side. But then they morphed into the sport machine. And Pete, like you were saying, they've gone from, you know, these naturally aspirated, you know, 700 cc displacements to 900 and then a thousand. And now they're turbocharged and they just keep getting more powerful with Yamaha's more suspension. Got the, the sequential five speed transmission rather than a right. CVT in it. Right. Well, yeah, because they're and, getting to the point where they're blowing through CVT. Like every, yeah. people are replacing CVTs quickly because of power yeah. blowing them up. Yep. Um, but, you know, in a lot of ways, they're a lot like the Jeep Wrangler where you can you know, kind of express yourself in a side-by-side -side with, you know, graphics and suspension and all that. You can spend a ton of money doing it. And then in two years, it's all obsolete and your neighbor's got a better one. So then you got to, you know, sell it and buy the next one because they're just progressing so fast. I mean, in five years, that market has changed dramatically. Yeah. If and you look at what a side-by-side -side looked like five years ago versus now, it's just and insane. It used, that it's it used to be that, you know, uh, it started out with, three wheelers and then four wheel ATVs. And then, you know, the pilot, the Honda one the pilot. Seat pilot was in there with two, it was the Odyssey and then the pilot. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, and then they came out with like, you know, the, the f five wheel gator from, from, uh, John Deere, John Deere yeah. Yeah. kind of started that off. And Kawasaki came out with the mule and, and it, yep. it just kind of evolved in and all of a sudden it was kind of like the right spark at the right time all of a sudden kind of it all went up at once and it was suddenly yeah. there were there were these well, Polaris made out like a bandit because they had the first real sport side by side the right. razor right and and it was really um kind of the exclusive one they're the only one in the market for quite some time before um Can-Am and Yamaha uh, started getting into it, but oh, Polaris, they probably did very well with the first Razors. I mean, when they came out with yeah. that, they were everywhere and they were really, 
um, they must have took the, um, the market by surprise because it took a couple of years really before right. they had any competition yeah. in it. And, so, I, and I just saw that Kawasaki's coming out with their own sport side by side this yeah. fall. Um, yeah. So it's kind of something you can't not be in it. Honda came out with their their new talent, I think it is. Yep. Um, yeah. And yep. what's really interesting is they are not marketing those to traditional power sports customers. Uh, yeah. Honda's had Jeff Glucker from Hooniverse out twice to ride those things. Uh, you know, they're an alternative off-road car now. Yeah. And yeah. it's the and automotive a- market that they're really, uh, tapping into. It's well, a good I mean, point because my my wife, for instance, um, I ride off road a lot. My wife never goes with me because she doesn't want to ride a motorcycle and she enjoys camping. But it's really kind of an off road riding thing. But I've thought about getting a used side by side just so I could like put down uh, the the fire roads and you know I could show her the things that I. Uh, I'm seeing when I'm out riding and she doesn't have to, you know, worry about putting her feet down and stuff like that. You can have this uh, headsets where you just intercom between people. Then the, the ride is so good on them too nowadays. That- I, I kind of look at them as it used to be that if you were going to go to the lake, you, you got a couple of jet skis mm-hmm. and they got bigger and bigger and bigger. And all of a sudden people are like, well, this form factor doesn't work big. And yeah. everybody got jet boats or the right. wakeboarding boats with but whatever you call the big towers yeah. on them for wakeboarding. Oh yeah, this can do so much more than that little thing. I don't oh, want yeah. that anymore. And I think they were kind of the same way where ATVs are are kind of as limited as a motorcycle but not as versatile. Right. And that's true. And you've got these really cool side-by-sides that have like, you know, 20 inches of suspension that can outrun a Jeep. And it's yep. like well, I can crawl in this. I can bomb across a desert in it. I can put my family in yeah. it, strap them in, and and not feel like they're gonna, you know, yeah. flip over backwards and kill themselves. Oh, this and this, in some states are street legal too. Yeah. Arizona, for instance. Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, if you think about, it, I mean, they do make ec- economically. All right, let's put this in air big air quotes. Economically, they make sense. Rather, if you're looking at a say a twenty or twenty five thousand dollars side by side. Versus even if you go buy a used Jeep Wrangler at what, 35 or 40, and then you stick another 10 grand into it to outfit it to go, whether you're going wheeling or like you say, desert bombing or whatever. And this perfectly stock side by side is probably better at everything yeah. than that Jeep. And right. the Jeep are taking off the doors and, and the roof and everything anyway. So you're, you're, halfway, you know. so, um, I have this group of friends who are into sand cars and the you know going in the dunes and Mm -hmm. and all of them have a bunch of money and they have these monster horsepower uh four seat 26 inches of suspension travel sand cars these are probably 100 to 150 thousand dollar sand cars almost all of them have quit using their sand cars and they have all started driving side by sides because you just fire them up you can just go play around they're very capable uh now and you don't have to deal with, you know, race gas, everything that, yeah, race <laughs> gas, methanol purging and, and all of this that goes into these big, expensive, heavy, large, uh, loud, um, off-road cars and yeah. the side-by-sides, they have just as much fun with their, you know, a 10th the price or at least a 20th the price. And, you know, so. I feel like there's a lot of people that are just more into it than they are the Jeeps or sand rails or whatever else. Yeah, unfortunately, I don't have a place to park one, let alone if I had one, I don't really have a place to park it. So, yeah, yeah. Well, or anything. I, I well, can't afford I suppose, one like, because it's, yeah, well, it's that inexpensive as they are compared to yeah. a sand it's, car. They are still, still very a nice expensive. Car, yeah, it's still a nice car payment, yeah, yeah. a reasonable yeah. car payment, right? Yes. So, well, speaking of not having a place to park things, um, the, oh, did you get a? Did you get your new truck? No, did you get a side by side. The new truck, uh, according to the dealer, is built. It's ready for release. It's across town. It's being built here in Kansas City. Oh, and cool. I'm like, oh, how long does it take to go across town to the dealer? Come on. Yeah. No and kidding. we asked the dealer, you know, do you get a delivery date? I'm like, uh, no. We pretty much know it's here when it shows up on the trailer and i was like oh yeah. man so but anyways we sold our old truck which used to sit in front of the garage door 
suddenly I find myself riding my spider all the time. Yeah. That when I don't have to move a truck, you know, shuttle it around to the other driveway and, and it, it's not a 10 minute ordeal shuttling vehicles around to get the, the thing. I've been taking it to work. Sarah and I went for a nice long ride on Saturday and I have to say, I, I haven't ridden it up until, you know, the last three weeks. Hadn't ridden it. I think I had only ridden it once this year. I get out on it. And I'm like, this is absolutely, if you were going to make a list of all the things I want in a vehicle, I'm still perfectly satisfied with it. It just, yeah. it does everything I want. Uh, we did not ride our bikes up for smack dab. Uh, we had, uh, 90 some people do smack dab mm. this year, but we just took the Toyota minivan up and, uh, saw everybody off, had the riders meeting, handed them out cards and let them take off. But, uh, I am right now in the process of every day mailing patches to people out who send me and send their tickets and their, their 10 bucks to me and I send them a, a thing. So that, that went really well. The people got just torrentially poured on through about half of South Dakota. And, and there was a bunch of extra work to figure out how to get there. Cause on the main highway, the 291 that goes up, there was a bridge was out. So we had to figure out different routes people could try and take. So, but anyways, uh, now that we've sold the truck, I really like the spider, but the flip side of that is it's not a motorcycle. Mm-hmm. It's it's a snowmobile for the street, which is fun, and I really like it. It's kind of that side-by-side thing. Yeah, it's cool, but it's not that effortless swoop through the corners that you get on two wheels that you don't get. And it's 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 a really weird dichotomy in my head because I'm like, this is the perfect vehicle for me, but it makes me want to go out and get another vehicle. <laughs> yeah. That's so, that sounds like sounds like me with my Honda Element. It's the perfect vehicle for me right now because it's useful, useful space. It's a, it's a efficient space. It, the dog fits in there perfectly and he's bigger and bigger every single day. And as much as you think, Oh, you're not going to grow anymore. Oh, you grew some more. Um, so everything I want, it's like, yeah, but I don't think he's going to fit in that. And it's yeah. like, as much as I want to get rid of the element, it's like, but it's kind of the perfect vehicle. Now I don't want to get rid of my spider. I love okay. riding it. It's just, it, it's just enough like a motorcycle that you go yeah but i want one of those too so yeah um anything else we need to cover trying to think of anything else and oh uh another motorcycle magazine folds yeah motorcyclist magazine yeah 108 years they were in publication this is just another example of the motorcycle market in north america is contracting regardless of what anybody says it's it has ceased to be what it was. Yeah, now, the video platform is growing. Um, so like YouTube content, stuff like that. The Motor Trend channel, which has now Zach and Ari, um, that's growing a lot, which is probably what put the last nail in the coffin for motorcyclist. Um, but the print stuff is definitely drying up as evidenced by Motorcyclist Magazine. Well, some of it is magazines in general yes. are also a fading thing. You know, it's... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I, I was sad to see that. That was one of my favorite It, it was my, Growing up, that was my favorite. Back when Art Friedman was the editor of that, that was absolutely my... I identified with the staff there. I mean, I knew... Yeah the people at cycle world and cycle guide and cycle and, and, uh, but I did not feel like I was personal friends of theirs. Like I did with motorcyclists and that it really was kind of one of those, well, you're watching the page turn again, you know? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, I, there's a, uh, uh, all Japanese bike show here this weekend. The Vintage Japanese Bike Club of Kansas City is holding it this weekend. And at first I thought I wanted to get my bike ready for it 
And then I just wanted to go, and now I've found out that we're going to be out at the family farmstead in Kansas all weekend. So I'm not even going to go. So (laughs) by the time we talk again, I'll have uh, gone to Radwood, which is in about a week, two weeks, two weeks um, from now. I don't think you can take your Tercel there and put a for sale sign. I know. Right. I thought about that, actually. Um (laughs) The Kenny Roberts just probably isn't going to go. If I had it done, I just don't know if I'd feel comfortable. That would be like, you know, the first trip on it. And I'm just not sure that I want to try and do that and then break down on the side of the road. So I don't think that I'll bring the Kenny Roberts RZ, but nevertheless, I'll go. And maybe somebody else will have theirs there. Cool. So. Okay. Well, we're going to keep working on our bikes and hopefully... Next, well, I, I've got a lot of travel in the next couple of weeks and I doubt I will get the, the, uh, the 125 started before the first of the month, but it, some, maybe, maybe that first week in August I can, I can try to tackle it. So, yeah. Okay. Well, thank you to you two guys for continuing to do this every month. Even I screw up and cost us 15 minutes. <laughs> I have to say, you went back and you very succinctly covered what took you 15 minutes in about eight minutes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was like, wow. You know, if we had, like, notes and an agenda and we thought through what we were going to say ahead of time, we could probably do this podcast in, like, 30 minutes. That's true. Very good. Talk to you all next month and we'll all be back and we'll see you all next time. So all long. Right.